Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is our last episode of season one. Holy shit. This is episode 41 called Karen. Okay, so before I tell you a little bit more about Karen, I just wanted to take the time to thank every single person who is listening right now, who has listened in the past to the podcast, who's passed it around, who's spread the word. I launched this in March of 2019. And at the time, my goal was to create something that would make anybody having a hard time having a baby feel less alone. It started out just kind of being about infertility, but it's grown to be a podcast and a community that covers so much more than that. So anybody who's had trouble having a baby, the quote unquote traditional way is welcome here. So as you know, we've covered same-sex couples, intended parents, we've talked about surrogacy, adoption, all of that. These are all important stories to tell. And I'm so honored and proud, and woo, I'm gonna start crying, that I am the one who gets to tell these stories. So to date, which is, I'm recording this at the December 19th, 2019, we have had more than 60,000 unique downloads of this podcast, which is huge considering that it's just scrappy little me who started this nine months ago. So I, again, thank you. And I consider that 60,000 chances to make somebody feel less alone. So thank you for listening. I love you guys. Season two is coming back with a bang and wait till you hear what we've got in store. I'm so excited about it. So guys, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, which is Extend Fertility. When I interviewed my fertility specialist, Dr. Joshua Klein, in a past episode of Infertile AF, I was super impressed with his new clinic. I went there and saw them in action and what they're doing and how they are forward thinking in terms of fertility how they're being a little bit of a disruptor in the industry. I love that. They're really founded on the premise of democratizing egg freezing and IVF so that they could change the industry and deliver better results. Dr. Klein and I talked a lot about how it's important to him that he makes it less miserable for people going through infertility, which I thought was super important. And in the past two years since they've been open, they've become one of the largest egg freezing practices in the country with over 2,500 cycles. And one of the best things I think is that they're super transparent about their prices. So some of you may have experienced a little bit of what we went through, which was a little bit of a bait and switch when you go into your clinic and they tell you it's going to cost X amount, but oh, if you want this, that, and the other thing, it's going to be this much more, but they don't tell you that till later. So Extend doesn't do that. They are super transparent. They lay it all out there and say it is what it is, but they have financing and flexible payment options, and they're actually priced up to 40% lower than a lot of the other egg freezing clinics. So they do egg freezing. They've started to do IVF as well. And if you're interested in either of those things, definitely check them out at extendfertility.com. Okay, so back to Karen. Karen Jeffries is hilariously infertile. She describes herself as part teacher, part mom, part wife, fully inappropriate and forever infertile. So as you guys know, I love the inappropriate in anybody. So we hit it off really well. And today she is going to tell the story about what she went through with her infertility and having her two daughters and how she turned what she went through into a brand and a side hustle and a whole new place for women and men to feel less alone. So we're on the same page in that way that we're 
as Robin Roberts of GMA says, turning our mess into our message. So she's awesome. Loved her. Thank you, Karen. And I wanted to end the season with her because as you guys know, I've always tried to kind of find the humor in this journey because I just feel like if you can't laugh in the face of shit, then what are you going to do? So without further ado, this is Karen's infertility story. Hey, Karen, how are you tonight? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having um, me. I've been a fan of yours from afar, following your Instagram. And I know you've written a book and you do lots of live appearances and hosting and all that. You are a teacher by day, right? Yes. I teach fourth grade dual language, Spanish and English. Where does it all begin for you? Like, did you always want to be a mom? Did you always want to have kids? Yes. So, uh, well, that's an interesting, that's an interesting first question. Yes. I always wanted to be a mom. I always wanted to have children. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. Both my parents are, were school teachers and I just knew that I was going to follow suits. And it, when I discovered like dual language teaching that that's when I really would like it open up my world to like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I always knew I wanted to devote my entire life to children. So I think being a mom and, and having my own children was, was always part of that plan for me or that idea. I had no idea that I was infertile, like none until after my husband and I were, were trying to get pregnant. And what happened with us was we were trying to get pregnant on our own. We were having unprotected sex and I wasn't getting my period, but for like months and months and months and months on end. And uh, every month I thought that I was pregnant because like, you know, when I went to like sex ed class, if you have unprotected sex and you don't get your period, you know mm. what I mean? Like that means you're pregnant, but I wasn't. And I kept getting these negative pregnancy test results back. So I had no idea what was going on with my body. Mm -hmm. And, um, and after about like six months of this, I realized like something was seriously wrong. Like, why wasn't I getting my period, you know? Right. And I was taking the ovulation kits and they would always tell me I was ovulating and like never once was I ovulating. So like during that time. So um, I went to my OBGYN and she started me on a round of Clomid and nothing happened. And then the next month, another round of Clomid and intercourse and nothing happened. And she called me and left a voicemail. And she said, um, I think that you have something called PCOS and I want you to contact your, the fertility clinic down the street. So I had no idea what PCOS meant. Uh -huh. and I, I Googled it and it was like the worst, you know, just, you know, world crashing moment type of a oh. thing where all I could see was infertile, infertility, trouble getting pregnant. And I was just a wreck because, you know, like you said, my entire life I had, I had been going through all the phases, like everything to be a school teacher and devote my, my job to children and to, and to hopefully have children. Like I mm -hmm. never in my wildest dreams thought that I would ever have a hard time getting pregnant ever, especially because I was like, no, I'm supposed to be a mom. Like I, I devoted everything to children, you know? Right. So <laughs> it's my calling. Um, yeah. And it's actually like a weird, weird, like conversation that my sister and I had years and years prior to me finding out that I was infertile 
we would we were roommates in New York City together, and we would you know like on Friday nights like maybe drink a little bit too much wine and eat too much sushi. And one time she was like, you know, do you ever think about like having a, that you're going to have a hard time getting pregnant? Mm. And I was like, no, never. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah. I was like, no. I was like, why would I have a hard time? I was like, and I, I would say the same thing. Like, there's nothing wrong. With, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and she was like, oh gosh, yeah. I don't know. I just, I had this really bad feeling that I'm going to have a hard time. My sister said that. And like, wow. and what's crazy is that like my sister is like fertile as a horse. Like her and her husband look at each other and get pregnant. And I found out years later that I was infertile. So it was just like a really interesting, like you really don't know. Yeah. Um, and that's so annoying, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. I know. Um, and so, so then I went to my fertility clinic and met with my fertility doctor and he was very like calming and positive. And he was like, listen, like PCOS which you know stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome is a bad thing, but it's also a good thing because you have a lot of eggs. And he like explained it to me because I didn't even understand like what was happening. You know, mm-hmm. were you having any of the other PCOS symptoms? Because I know there's a wide range of symptoms. Some people have none. Some people have a lot. What was your scenario? That's a great question. So no, I don't look like you know I don't present as the typical. PCOS patients. I'm very thin. The only thing I would say is like, you know, I get my, my lip, my upper lip waxed, you know, and things like that. I have fine. I do have thin hair uh-huh. on my head, but like, I don't have any of the other major symptoms that come along with PCOS. But if you look at my ovaries, they are like very classic polycystic okay. ovaries. Uh-huh. Had anybody else in your family had it? Like obviously your sister, no, but your mom or aunts or anything like that? No, not that we know of. I, okay. I have a hunch that my my father's mother had it, but it's just a hunch. Like I don't actually know. Why do you think that? Because she didn't have my father until she was 40 years old. Mm. And I just think that like back then, like they, no one used contraceptives, you know, really. I mean, mm-hmm. they did like the pull and pray and stuff like that. But, um, <laughs> but I feel, I feel like that's what I think, but that's also, it could just be my idea. Like she also maybe just didn't want to have kids and then have my dad, you know? Right. Like, well, back know. in the day, it was pretty rare to have kids that late. Is what it was mean. rare. Yeah. Like you're talking like 1940s, he sure. was born. So, uh-huh. um, so yeah, so pretty rare. And my other my grandmother's sister, so my great aunt, my father's aunt, never had children. And I don't know why. So I feel like there might have been something there. I don't okay. know. Yeah. But nothing on my mother's, on my on my mom that I know of. Yeah. So yeah. So then we did an IUI the first month, Clomid and IUI, and it didn't work. And then the next month we did Clomid and IUI again on the same day that my sister went into labor with her first son five weeks early, which was like kind of traumatic because he ended up being in the NICU and I had to fly. Like I went to my IUI and then flew immediately to Chicago oh, to wow. with my sister because I live in New York. And that IUI was the one that took. And that was my first daughter, Zoe. Wow. Yay. Yeah. Who's now- Were you nervous to get on a flight right afterwards? Yes. I was like yes. Googling, like, is this even a possibility? And then I was yeah. like, I don't. And then honestly, like, it was like, I was halfway through like the Google search and I was like, like something like stuff had popped up. Then I like closed out the window because I was like, it doesn't matter. Like I have to go <laughs> like, see my sister. I'm so, on like, the flight. <laughs> yeah. Like whether, whether I can medically or not, that's not going to stop me. Like I'm going to go th- through with this IUI today. And then if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but I have to go see my sister. So yeah. especially because she was five weeks early and, and I was nervous that there was going to be 
some complications there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was everything okay? Yeah, he was fine. He had to be in the NICU for like two weeks because he was having like little Brady cardials where like basically your brain and his like his brain and his lungs just like weren't communicating very well. But like after that, he was totally fine. And he's, you know, a very, very healthy boy now. So it just took, you know, when right. you have preemies, there's take a little bit of time to just, you know, have all yes. the systems connect to each other a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, so when Zoe turned about 18 months old, we wanted to start trying for our second child. We knew that we wanted them around like three years apart. Uh And everyone in my life had known that I had gone through an IUI with Zoe because I never understood why people didn't talk about it. Thank Um, you. And this is kind of where, like where I kind of see like looking back, like, like, I don't know, like the little seed, little seedlings of hilariously infertile starting even Mm -hmm. before it started, you know, like I wasn't on social media. Like I mm-hmm. even, so to say, like I don't have a personal social media account. I didn't even have a personal Facebook account. Mm-hmm. So I was very alone. Like I, right. I, it was me and my husband and like one or two other coworkers who I was like kind of friends with uh-huh. had been through IVF. Like I knew no one. Yeah, same. I had Did no- you even know what an IUI was? Because I certainly didn't until I was faced with doing one. I was like, what the hell is this? Never heard of it. No, no. I thought, it, I thought, I thought, I just knew what insemination was. And I thought it was just for lesbians, to be totally honest. Yeah. Like that's what I thought. And right. like, that's how, that's how like, like ignorant I was, you same. know? So I had told everyone because I was very open about it. I didn't really understand why people didn't talk about it, you know, mm-hmm. that I had had an IUI with Zoe. And so we went back to our fertility doctor because he said there's there's zero point in us trying on our own. And we started with Clomid and IUIs again. I went through, it was five rounds of Clomid, but it was four IUIs because the first round of Clomid, nothing happened. Okay. And after my fourth failed IUI, I decided and my husband supported me that I wanted to go forward with IVF because even though I didn't have any data or statistics to back it up, I felt that if it was going to work, it would have worked already by that mm-hmm. point, given yeah, how you're like, I'm a two IUI person normally. So yeah. like it doesn't work by the second time, right? Exactly. And since then I've actually learned like some of my friends at Fertility IQ have like actually told me they're like, well, yeah, no, like that statistic is completely backed up with da da da. And I was like, oh, well, I didn't know that. I just had this like I, I feel like a lot of it was just like I kind of followed my gut. And I was just like, if it would have worked, it would have worked already, you know? Mm-hmm. So I knew very, very, very little about IVF. I knew, right. yeah, I knew that there were stomach shots and that there were ass shots. Like, and that's it. I knew, like, that <laughs> that's was how it. you break it down. Stomach yeah. shots and ass shots. Like, that was it. I didn't yeah. know. And like, I didn't know that there was like a difference between the stomach shots. Like I knew, I, I knew nothing about right. IVF. Can I ask you to, just to back up a little bit, yeah. how did it feel like, I know you're hilarious, but were you, was it emotional for you? Like when it wasn't working, were you freaking out? How were things in your relationship? Like what was going on in, in your mind with all this stuff? Okay. So that's a great question. So the first, when I was going through it for my first child, I was much more emotional, much more like, like, you know, sensitive and a wreck and like every month, you know what I mean? Like just mm-hmm. like really upset. And and then when we, then when we got pregnant and when I was able to carry that pregnancy to term, when I went through it again for my second daughter, I was significantly calmer, even though like, I remember the first, like my first IUI when I was trying for my second daughter, I did the whole, like, I'm feeling something, but like, I was feeling nothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where like yes. you feel these like phantom symptoms and like yes. nothing's there. It's actually just like you had like 
too much garlic bread or whatever. I don't know, you know? <laughs> and so, and so I, I was like on Cape Cod, it was in the summer and I was on Cape Cod with my in-laws and my mother-in-law was like, so how do you think it went? And I was like, I think it went well. And she was like, how, why do you think that? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm just like feeling some things and like, no joke, like 24 hours later, I got the call. that's like, no, it failed. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, so like, I oh. still was in my head a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. with that sort of thing. But I definitely like, I know every single failed, like the failed, the failed half cycle and the failed IUIs with my second, like every time they called, you know, the people who have to call you and leave you those messages and tell you that it's failed, even though you know, because you probably tested seven times on at home, like mm-hmm. they're always so sensitive. And I, I remember every time being like, it's okay. It's okay. I have a child. Like I kept looking at it like that. Like I was mm-hmm. like, I have a child and, and I know it failed and, and I'm okay with that because I have a child. And like, mm-hmm. it was like, it was never like, you know, that devis that as devastating, you know, Okay. That's because I kept trying to look at the positive. Like I have this one, you know, beautiful child and I'm really, really happy to have that. And if, if like, and I kept trying to keep that as my mentality, like mm-hmm. if we, you know, have to go forward with IVF. Okay. If IVF works great. If IVF doesn't work, like I, like that was like what I kept trying to say, like, it's okay. I, I have a child, mm-hmm. you know, like, and that to me was, was important to like kind of keep perspective. Right. Um, and they're always like, hi, Karen. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so the second time I definitely was more, I feel like level-headed, but it was, it's hard going through infertility when you have a toddler, you know? Mm-hmm. At the time I was, we moved out of New York City. So I was living in where we live now in White Plains in Westchester, New York, which is mm-hmm. about, you know, an hour, 45 minutes to an hour north of New York City. Yep. And I was still commuting down to the fertility clinic like multiple mornings a week that part was, it was more like that, like managing that and managing the toddler and managing all yes, that stuff. Which the logistical found, part of it too. Exactly. And like yeah, the childcare yeah. and, and all of that, that part was tricky. Right. I um, remember my daughter too was a toddler when I was going through it and trying to hide all the needles and the shots and stuff and like being like, what am I going to say if she's like, why are you stabbing yourself? You know? Oh yeah. I mean, there was one point when I was going through IVF when with the Menopure and it had made my stomach so sore that I couldn't like, I, I could not hold my, my daughter. Like I, mm-hmm. like, cause when, when I held her on my hip and she wrapped her leg around me, like it was excruciating. Oh painful. yeah. And but like she was two, like she had just turned two a month before. So like she didn't understand why mommy can't carry her, you know? Right. Yeah. And that was like, that was really hard. And then after like my egg retrieval, like being so sore for that too. And like, like being like, okay, you have to walk. And her being like, no, you always care. Like you carry me from the car to daycare, you mm-hmm. know? So like, that part was, that was a challenge. Like she never saw the needles and things like that, but like she knew, like, I mean, and she didn't know, like if you were to ask her, like she doesn't know, you know, but like right. she was aware and upset about, about like my lack of being able to, to hold her, you know, yes. because I was in so much pain physically. Yeah, I get it. I know you also um, talked about, you've written about how jacked up, that's your, those are your terms, jacked up you were on the hormones. Can you tell me a little bit about that once you did start doing all the injections and stuff? Like what did it do to you physically and mentally? So I feel like, I feel like Clomid actually like jacked me up more than like, than the IVF hormones. Mm -hmm. Um, But I definitely think that like being pumped full of, of hormones, like I, I joke, I'm like, like 
you're on more hormones than a horse, you know, like you just, like, you just feel like you're at your wits end, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, like I remember like just feeling like it's not even like, it's not even the hormones. And I think I, I wrote an article about this like a long time ago, but if like, if we were to go through IVF in a vacuum, right? Like in a bubble, and all you had to do was like go to the clinic, like in your bubble, literally, like no red lights, nothing, you know, like no commuting, uh-huh. go to the clinic, be treated and come home. Like that would be manageable. Right? <laughs> but like, that's not how it is. Like, you know, you have the reverse commute, you have the toddler, you have the faculty meetings, you have the, the deadlines and right. the in-laws and the bills to pay and the, you know, husband who still needs attention and the yes. like, you know, dinner to get on the table. Like you have all of that stuff that's, that's weighing on you. That's weighing on anyone in 2019 or 2014, whenever you're going through this, you know? Yep. And so then you put all of that like stress that society has just on a general, any given day. And then you add all the hormones and the needles and the emotions with it. And it's, it's, it's very, very maxing. So I think mm-hmm. that's when I say like jacked up, like that's kind of what I mean. Right. That because like no one goes through this in a vacuum, you know? Right. And, and for me, I was going through IVF in December, which is like for, at least for, for me in my school, like a, like one of the worst months you could ever possibly go through. <laughs> right. It right. would be like, it'd be like going through IVF in like, in like September or December or June would be like the worst months ever to do IVF. And right. And Cause I was there's so it. much going on and just also probably cause the weather, right. Or what do you yes. mean? Specifically? Yeah. I mean, there was so, so I had 40 parent teacher conferences <laughs> that month to fit in like before and after school. I had, you know, report cards, multiple like holiday parties for my husband and for my school. And like, which like you say like, Oh, holiday parties, like cry me a river, but like just times that you have to like, feel good and confident and, right, and be and, on. Yeah. And be social and things like that. And, and like you, that's the last thing you want to do, totally. you know? I mean, I remember when I was going through it, I was at a holiday party for my school and everyone's like laughing and taking pictures and everything. And I was just, and I was there and I was doing it for a little bit. And then I looked at my friend and I was like, I think I'm going to go home. And mm-hmm. she was like, why? And I was like, I just don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was it. And she looked at me and she's like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. And like, it had nothing to do with the fact that like, I couldn't drink like, cause it, because like, that's not a big component for me, you know? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like a comfort level. I was just like, I would rather be at home in my pajamas. And so that's what I'm going to do. And that's I, think how I that, feel like, most nights. Yeah. You know, like I think that, <laughs> um, the one thing I try to ex- like tell my followers and tell people is that like, when you're going through IVF and just like in general, like, I like to just set the bar really low, you know, Mm -hmm. like set the bar low. And then if you achieve it or more then you're pleasantly surprised. Exactly. If you get through the day, yeah. Get through it. You know, like if you do take out like more nights a week than, than normal, that's fine. If like Mm -hmm. you, if your laundry isn't put away until the day that you're doing the next load of laundry, that's fine. Like, you know, like if your hair and makeup doesn't look amazing, like that's fine. Like just, <laughs> just get through it. You know, like you don't have like, to, you don't owe anyone anything. And yeah. so I think that that's like what I tried to do. Like I was kind of like, you know, these are things that I have to do. And if there are things I don't actually have to be doing right now, like I'm not, I'm, I'm going to not do it. Cause I'm yeah. just, you're just really, really, really 
drained. I don't know if this happened for you too, but for me, I felt really insecure when I was like on all the hormones. It really messed with my psyche. Like it was like, cause I wanted to talk about what I was going through, but none of my friends were really going through it. So then I would get insecure or like self-conscious that I was talking about it too much. And then I would like get in my head in this weird spiral of like, and I just, I remember feeling so not confident and maybe it was cause my body wasn't doing what I wanted it to be doing. So that's part of it. But I think it, the drugs really messed with my head too. That's so fascinating that you say that. I felt very insecure, but not be, I don't feel like it was the necessarily the drug's fault. Like I, I gained a lot of weight when I was going through the IUIs, like Clomid made me gain about like, like 10 to 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I felt more insecure about it, like in my own skin because of the weight gain. You okay. Know? Yeah. Um, I also, and this is something that I joke about, but like, for some reason, I, I didn't, I didn't discover leggings. What? I I know. What do you mean? I know. Like, I like, didn't know what that, like what leggings were or that they, what were you wearing? I was wearing like regular pants that have like, like slacks and zippers (laughs) and like trousers. Like, yeah. Like pants, like dress pants to work. Yeah. Like slacks, like suit pants, you know? And like, that's what I would wear. And like, I was just like, like, I would just have to buy like bigger pants and bigger pants. And like, and then, and then I discovered leggings after I went through IVF and I was like, Oh my God, like, why didn't I discover leggings when I was going through IVF? And it's not like, like leggings have been around since like the dawn of time. Like, I don't know. Right. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So yeah. And with me, like the leggings would have really, really helped because when I went through my IVF cycle, I had 33 eggs that were taken out. Oh my God. Which is a lot. Yeah. Which is a that lot. That was on one so, retrieval? One retrieval. Whoa. So that must've been a little painful beforehand, right? It was, you know what, it wasn't, it it wasn't that painful beforehand. I was, I was very, very bloated and I was hosting like Christmas at my house also (laughs) like, and giving myself the trigger shot. But I was like, I remember my husband, like I walked in, you know how sometimes when you wear like a hoodie sweatshirt, it like poofs out at your stomach because there's Mm -hmm. a zipper, you Mm -hmm. know, if it's like a zip up one. Yep. And so I was wearing like a zip up hoodie and my husband was like, what is that? Like, why does your sweatshirt look like that? And he went to like push in like the, oh. the zipper part yeah. and he like just got my stomach and, and he was like, oh my God, that's you. And I was like, oh. that's me. And he was like, what's happening to you? And I was like, I Thanks. have so many eggs inside of me, you know? But it was just funny because like my sister and brother-in-law were there and they were like, oh. Yeah, those are fighting words. Careful. Yeah. So yeah, I had 33 eggs and taken out and I went to work the next day after they were taken out, which is something that I highly recommend that you don't do. Yeah. But you know, when you're a school teacher and you take so many, I had taken so many days, like I had taken like a day each for the every IUI and then half right. a day for the IVF orientation class and yeah. a day for the my, you know, HSG and like, just like... I had taken all these days and I really didn't want to take two days in a row because I really want to be at school. Like teachers want, it's, it's easier to be at school, you know? Yeah. And I could like, I could barely walk the next day. I've, I've never experienced pain like that before in my life. Did your coworkers know, or some of them at least what was going on? A lot of them knew. Yeah. A lot of them knew. And I walked straight, like I walked into the building and I went straight to my assistant principal to be like, I can't be here. Yeah. And, uh, and she said that there was no one to cover because 
of situations. Like there were just, there were no subs to cover. So I had to stay and I was like, okay. Like, uh. and my kid, my students knew like they, I mean, they saw how massive my stomach was. Like I looked like I was like five months pregnant. Right. Um, and kids probably say those amazing things. Like, are you pregnant? Like, yeah, they just knew, like, I just kept like, like putting my, like every now and then I put my head down cause I was in so much pain and they'd be like, is it your head or is it your stomach? And I'd be like, it's my stomach, you know, oh. but they were like, they're so sweet, you know, but yeah. And then I was basically, they brought me like right to the cusp of over hyper stimulation, but okay. then everything calmed down and we did a fresh transfer five days later. And What's amazing, and again, I didn't know this when I was going through it, but my 33 eggs turned into 17 day five blastocysts. Wow. Which is also a lot. That's a lot. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know. Like, I didn't know because I don't, I didn't know that leggings yeah. existed and I like didn't <laughs> Google anything. Um, so, so yeah. So I just, we put in one and I went home and I rested. And then there's this whole thing that I talk about in my stand-up comedy about like how then my entire house got like this massive stomach bug and we were all so sick. Mm-hmm. And we missed like Christmas Eve dinner with my mom and dad. And when I say like I gave myself the trigger shot because I was hosting Christmas and now it's Christmas Eve. What's confusing about that is that we were going away on like Christmas day. So we, you know how sometimes you can like do like family Christmas. like You did it early. We did it early. Thank you um, for straightening out the chronology. There'll be some yeah, listeners that I'm were like, like oh, no, it sounds like I'm lying. Right. Um, She's bullshit. But, um, but yeah, so we did like our family Christmas early because we were going on vacation. So on the actual Christmas Eve, we were supposed to go to my parents' house and we didn't because we were we had been so sick with the stomach bug. And my mom called me and just to check in and see how we were doing. And one of the things that I joke about is, is, is no joke, like on the phone, she was like, so how's it going? And I was like, mom, I, I shitted out my embryo. And she was like, <laughs> and she was like, no, you didn't. And I was like, yes, I did. Like, because we were just so sick. And she was like, no, like Karen, like you realize that like they're in the funny fu- part is that she's like, you realize that there are different holes. Right. And I was like, um, <laughs> like I know there are different holes, but like we were so sick. And like, if, if you were to ask her and she's been at a, like one event that I, that I had, and she was like, that's how it happened. Like, that's exactly how the conversation went. And, but it turned out I didn't, I didn't shit out my embryo. (laughs) And I found out that I was, that I was pregnant with my second daughter. Wow. So that was your first round of IVF. First round of IVF. Wow. Yeah. Wait. And as a side note, I love, I was looking at your website and I love that you wrote like, look, mom, someone thinks my vagina jokes are funny and inspiring. I know, right? I got that. Like, I remember I got that like pretty early on in the website because my mom was still like not really like on, she was on the fence, you know, right. as to whether she thought that this was a good idea that I was doing this or not. And so right, right, right. Up there because I was like, well, someone else does. But yeah, she thought that was funny too. Yeah. But, um, so, okay. So it worked. Wow. How did that feel? It felt, I mean, it felt really good. I was very cautious and, you know, and I waited a lot and to, you know, to really, embrace, I guess, the pregnancy, you Mm -hmm. know, just because I was just nervous and I wanted to, I don't know. I think I was just, I was just nervous since it, since it took, you know, going to IVF that, that something was going to happen. And so I was, I was cautious about celebrating it until, you know, after like the three months and stuff. But, Mm -hmm. but yeah, then my daughter, my second daughter, Abby was born. Both my girls were born at 41 weeks. They're both overdue. Wow. And my 
my second daughter is actually even more so overdue than, than my first. I would say even she was like 40, over 41 weeks. And yeah. um, she was born completely in the amniotic sac. Oh, like, oh, okay. I have a like, friend who that happened to. There's a term for that. What is that called? Like on call or on yes. call or something like that? Yeah, it's yeah. Like a, isn't that like a French term or something I like that? I think so. Yeah, yes. I don't know. Yes. Apparently it's very rare, but yeah. So that was also kind of crazy. And that just kind of adds like to the story. Cause my husband and I were like, what just happened? Yes. Like, yeah. So yeah. So, cause I remember being like, am, like, am I a mammal or did I like, cause it looks so, like you laid an egg. Like, yeah. I was just going to say, can you describe it visually for somebody that might not know what we're talking about? Yes. I've seen pictures of my friend's baby and it's very cool looking. It's very, yeah. So if you it's Google also scary because you're like, what the hell is happening right now? Yes. So if you Google baby born in sack, like you can see some pictures. What's funny is that with my husband and I, we didn't take any pictures of, of this. The doctor asked and I looked at my husband and I said, no, like my vagina <laughs> juice has been, is on there. And he was <laughs> like, okay. So we didn't, but we didn't know at the time that it was such a rare occurrence that we probably should have taken a picture. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm still happy we didn't. But what's interesting is that if you were to ask my husband what it looked like in a private room and ask me what it looked like, if we were to like Google image it and pick out one of the images, we both pick out the same image. It looks honestly like a, like a baby in a condom. Like yeah. it looks like a clear condom in a, in a, in a baby inside of it. Right. Right. And you know, when people say like your water breaks, when your water breaks, that's the amniotic sac that's mm-hmm. breaking because inside basically they're fish, right? They're breathing that amniotic fluid. So when your water breaks, then the fluid comes out and then the, and then the baby's going to come right mm-hmm. shortly thereafter at some point. So what happened with me is that because I was so overdue, I didn't have a lot. Like I had hardly any amniotic fluid left over, which is why I was being induced. Um, And so then once they started, you know, inducing me and I could feel that like we were getting ready to go, they said, they're like, oh, your water must have broken and we must have missed it because because you didn't have really that much water left over. So like we probably just like missed it. And then... I did like one practice push and then the the nurse started screaming, it's in the sack, it's in the sack. And she was screaming it like really loud. And I was like, what does that mean? And oh my the God, that would have freaked me out. So freaky. Yeah. And the doctor was like, don't worry. It's okay. It's just, it's very rare, but it's very cool. And I was like, yeah. what? Like cool? Like what? Um, and so then I, no joke, I did one more push. So it was like literally two pushes, like that was it, or the practice push and then the actual push. And it came out and it honestly, if you picture like a clear or like maybe like kind of like whitish, clearish balloon or like, like the way that a condom would look if it was stretched out a lot and like a baby inside. Yeah. And then what do they do? They pop it? So then it? the doctor like takes his gloved hand and he ripped open the sack oh my God. and then pulled out my baby. And then, and that's when like we heard her. So like, <sighs> it was just like, it was crazy. And like, oh my God, it's so yeah. amazing. The body yeah. is so amazing. Yeah. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty, pretty nuts. And like people were coming by like the next few days to like meet the sack baby. <laughs> <laughs> And like, we still like, didn't even realize like how rare it was, you know? Yes. That is so cool. I love it. And she was healthy and everything was okay. Yeah. Everything was totally fine. Yeah. Very, very healthy. Yeah. Good. So then, okay. Tell me, I know it was your husband's suggestion that you write a book, right? Yes. So So how did that come about? 
Okay. So while I was on maternity leave with my second daughter, I was helping one of my girlfriends through her cycle. And I was helping one of my other family members through her cycle. And my husband and I were doing dishes and I was like, you know, well, so-and-so's ovulating. So it's go time for them. And then I was like, and -and so-and-so's this. And, you know, like her follicles are at 17 millimeters. So I told her that she's probably gonna have her IUI on Sunday. And my husband was like, I think that you should write a book about this. And he was reading a book about like, I forget what it was about. I think it was like optimizing your work week or something like that, but whatever. He was reading a book about like not entrepreneurship or anything like that, but he was, he was reading it like not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. One of those books is like by like one of the, like a Nike guy or whatever, who knows, you know? <laughs> so he must've had like some idea in his head. So he said, I think that you should write a book about this. Like this is a niche market. And I just laughed him off and I was like, ha, like I don't even read books, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't think anything of it. And I went and like got a glass of wine and sat on the couch. And then um, I wish I remembered, and I always say this, I wish I remembered how much time passed between him saying that and me actually starting to write. Mm-hmm. But I think it probably was like maybe a week, maybe like a, like a week and a half later mm-hmm. during like while my t- baby was napping, I just opened up my laptop one day and I just started writing and it came out of me. It just like poured out of me. And at first I didn't know what it was. I kept asking my friends and, and people to read it and be like, what is it? Like, is it a book or is it a blog or is it just like a stupid journal entry, Mm -hmm. you know, of me just like getting this out there. And, but what I realized very quickly is that like, it was funny and it was inappropriate. And it was the way that women really speak to each other when like we're really talking to each other, you know, like the way that you, when you go out to dinner with your best girlfriend or you're on the phone with your best girlfriends, like this is how you're going to talk to each other. And, and that's what I, what really stood out to me the most. So once I was done, like five weeks later, and it was pretty much the exact same thing that you, that is, you know, that you can purchase today. And I started sending it to like agent, literary agents and publishing mm-hmm. houses in New York city, because I was just naive. And I didn't know that like, you have to basically be famous to get like picked up by a publishing house. Yes. Um, so all the feedback that I got, I either got no feedback or I, heard messages that said, we just don't think it's a big enough market. Yes. Can I tell you too, that before I started my podcast, I had a book proposal and I was going to write a book as well. And it was going to be called IVF AF. And it was mostly going to be, you know, my story and then weaving in other people's stories about going through IVF. I then, you know, expanded it to all of like infertility and having babies, but I was getting the same feedback. I sent it out to so many people and they were like, this is great. We love your voice, but this isn't going to sell. It's just, it's just not a big market. And I was like, what are you talking about? It was so frustrating. And it's still, I think there's, it's still not a big enough market from what I've heard from publishers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and what, that to me, like that, isn't that was crazy. Just, it's crazy. And that to me was just, the, just fueled my fire. Cause I was like, n- first of all, no, like, cause I was looking <laughs> like I was receiving that email, but at the same time, like, cause I have two monitors on my, on my desk at office at home. And like, I would like have one email. that was like a rejection letter being like, it's not a big enough market and on one monitor. And then on the other monitor, like a thing with like the CDC talking about like the infertility rates you know, right. in the United States. And I'd be yeah. like, this is huge. And like, part of my thing was I was like, if, if you think this isn't a big enough market, that's the problem. Because that means that people are at home suffering in silence, the way I was at home suffering in silence, you know? Right. And, and I was like, well, I just can't have that. So 
I didn't really know what to do. And one of my husband's friends was like, well, you need to get on social media. And I was like, oh, hell no. I hate social media. And he was like, Karen, if this is what you want to do, if you want to help people, like you have to have social media and you have to have a website. So then I started social media and I started a website and like, I didn't even know what a hashtag was. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't even know. What year was this? That was 2015. Okay. So not too long ago. Yeah. Not too long ago. Isn't it crazy how much has he changed even in the past four Actually, years? wait, no, sorry. So I did IVF in 2014. My daughter was born in 2015. So this was this was like spring of 2016. Oh, okay. Even soon. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I had no idea. Like I was just like, I had I had no clue. And I remember when I first started, I asked my my niece for a little bit of help and she helped me like with, figure out what the hashtags were. And like, mm-hmm. I just remember in the beginning, like when I, I had like, I had 300 followers and I was like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Like, I just thought that was so huge. Like that I, that I was helping 300 people, you know? Right. And, and like the messages that I got from people were so supportive and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so helpful. And like every time that I got those messages, I just renewed my strength to continue this platform and to continue everything. And then, then everything just blew up and and the message has still been the same, you know, right. that, that people really want to laugh a little bit about infertility. And what yes. people always ask me all the time is they'll be like, you know, is, is infertility funny? And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, I'm never going to be the one who's like, infertility is hilarious because it's, it's not funny. But there are some aspects that are so absolutely ridiculous that you mm-hmm. have to laugh at them, you mm-hmm. know? And like... And there are some parts that like, that maybe are funny. Like the jerk off rooms, I think are really funny, you know? Um, <laughs> the materials in the jerk off rooms. Exactly. There's, yeah. Like there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of material, comedic material there, but, um, oh, yeah. but basically people and, and what my goal is and, and the whole platform of hilariously infertile is just, you know, if someone's having a bad day and if they're going in between appointments and they're having a rough time, and if my content can make them smile or my content can make them laugh or make them feel less alone, then, mm-hmm. then I'm, then I'm happy. And then I'm do I'm doing my job. And that's honestly, that's all I want to do. Right. Is just to let people know that they're not alone and that, Same. and that it's okay. Yeah. You, know? you and me both. So you, do you end up self-publishing the book? Yes. So what I did was I waited. So I put the book on the back burner and I just built the platform and the platform got bigger and bigger and bigger. And once most of the things that I do and will continue to do are pretty follower driven. Like people like finally, after a few years of that, people were like, we have to have the book. And so I was like, yeah, now the platform has gotten big enough. And like, people are really like, they really, cause I had had some I had some chapters of it on my website mm-hmm. just for free. And they're still there for free if people yeah. are interested. And I always send people there first because I'm not going to be like, here, buy my book. I'm like, go read a couple of chapters. And if you like it, then go buy it. You know, yep. like, but people were, you know, really wanted to see the book published. And so my goal with the self-publishing was I just wanted to make my money back because it costs a lot of money to self-publish. And that was all coming out of, you know, my pocket. And I just wanted to make that money back. And this in the sales and then everything that has come after that has been just beyond my wildest imagination mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of not just in terms of financially like getting getting that back, but in terms of just the feedback and the connections that I'm making with people around the world has really been just like it's it's very, very humbling. Um yeah. 
that that this is is doing what it's doing for people and it's sometimes it's very overwhelming but it's it's also it's just amazing i just you know just i'm trying to help people and i just hope that that i can every day So thank you again to Karen and thank you guys for listening to our conversation. That is a wrap on season one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will see you guys in a couple weeks with season two. Love you. Bye.